I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. And I want to start at verse 1. This is the Lord put this on me and prompted me with this in my spirit, and it has not left. Now, when God speaks to me, he doesn't speak to me just for me. As the pastor of this church, I am not just called for me. When God works in me, it's for the congregation. And so I have a, a when, oftentimes when God gives me a word that blesses my life, it is for everyone to receive that word. And I believe this was a word for everyone. And I want to reiterate it. I want to place it within you. And I want you to change something. Look at somebody and say, expectation. We know that Hebrews chapter 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and faith is the evidence of the thing that I cannot see. And for by it, the next verse says for by it, and goes on to tell us the story for that entire chapter 11. But faith is a substance. It's a reality. It's the real thing when something isn't there. It is the real thing that is present with us. Faith is the substance. It's the evidence of something that I cannot see. There are things in the realm of the spirit beyond your sight that you cannot see. You know, interesting enough, I've had many times when I thought the Lord was speaking one thing to somebody. I had a lady in the church one time. And, uh, and the Lord came on me, and I, I knew she had a growth on, uh, behind her ear that had come back on her body. And so I thought that the Lord was speaking to me about this lady. And I began to pro prophesy this direction about something coming back on somebody's body and what it meant and so on and so forth and how God would take care of it if there's always a condition that God has for us. And so after being done with the prophetic, I got done and I walked away feeling like it was the lady with the ear. I felt that way. A couple weeks later, another lady came up with lymph lymphoma cancer in her lungs or above her lungs, wherever lymphoma comes. And then it showed up some cancer somehow, and I don't know how it all worked out, but she, her lungs were the problem, and they had her in a barometric chamber, and the exact thing that I prophesied, thinking was for one lady, was in fact not for that lady at all, but instead God was speaking to someone whom I had no idea who it was. We have to be careful in our, in our digestion of what's going on in a service that we don't think too far ahead of God. How many times have I stood up here and said something for people to get upset with me and say, well, Pastor Steve, you must have been talking to so-and-so or you were speaking about this only to have someone come up to me after the service and say, that was spot on for me. That was what, and not knowing, because if we're going to follow the Holy Ghost, he's looking at everybody. He isn't looking at what we know. How many know God knows what we do not know? Look at somebody and say, there are a lot of things you don't know. As a matter of fact, you know, you, you're, you're made from dirt. You know, I mean, and your brain is made from dirt. Come on now. Look at somebody and say, you're a dirt bag. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You're not a dirt bag. It is, it is in the unseen realm of God. It is in the knowledge that I do not have that I need because God sees the end from the beginning or the beginning from the end. He sees the end result. He knows whatever my challenge is and he knows the solutions to those challenges. And God is the one who wants to reveal those things to us and faith is the thing that captures those things that are there, the things that are already there that I do not see. But we are guilty all the time of presupposing about what's going on in our lives. 
we always are looking forward and our expectations are always based on experience of life. Whatever we may have gone through, we formulate our experience, formulates our, our ideas. It, it gives us our paradigm of thinking. How we think, we base it our, our, we, you know, on, on this uh, you know, a, a small uh, uh, idea of life based on experiences. As a matter of fact, if you think about that, I want you to think about this. 20%, this is scientifically so, 20% of your cognitive decisions are made while you're aware, are made in the now or perceivable reality. 80% of things that you decide in life are made in the subconscious of your life. Not even aware. You just simply go through life and 80% of the things that happen in your life, the decisions you make, body language, mental uh, things that you do, are done based on things that you have built up in a subconscious mind and you filter through life doing things, reacting to things, and, and, uh, and making decisions without even consciously knowing you're doing it. That's why it's so important that we renew our mind. We have to renew our mind. You must renew your mind. If you don't renew your mind, you are not going to achieve what God wants you to achieve. Now, let me tell you a story about myself. I went on vacation, and it's got a good ending, so stick with me while I go through it. Many of y'all have known over the years, Pastor Steve was hot-headed. Don't shout too loud, because y'all got your own fault, too. But I've made some mistakes in this area along the way. As a younger man, I just was hot all the time. I got better, got married, things changed, saw the error of my ways, and had to make some major corrections. Over the last year, I've even worked that much harder to correct my behavior. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to brag on myself. I have done a great job. Thank you. I, man, I almost never yell. At nobody, almost never. Even on the ball field, which y'all know has always been a problem with me. I'm doing better. I'm not raising my voice at the coaches. I'm not over coaching when I'm not supposed to be coaching. Come on. I mean, I have made a 180 until the other day. I'm at this hotel, and I'm a just kind of guy. I like justice. I'm in this hotel over at the beach. It's a very schwank place. And Amy and I decided to go there. I had a free night, so I went to this hotel. So y'all don't think I'm spending millions of dollars on hotel rooms. I know how to use my efficiently used points and things like that. I had a free night given to me, so I took the free night at this schwank hotel. But I get in this schwank hotel, and they got these video games downstairs. My little boy's got a broken arm, and I've waited patiently for several, many minutes for one of these little games to open. He could only play the Wii. They had like nine games in there, okay? And three of them or two of them were Wiis, and the rest of them were other kinds of games where you had to have two hands to use them. So I'm waiting patiently because I know Brian, all he needs is one controller, and he can bowl or whatever on the Wii. You know what I'm talking about, just one one. So I've waited finally. This one opens up, and I get my little boy on it, but it's only got one controller, and a dad and his three kids are on this other one, and I know he stole the controller from this unit. I'm not doing good at this point. 
because I'm frustrated. I want the other little kids to play. There's other little kids sitting there, they can't play. So finally the dad gets up and leaves, but you can't get the controller because it's contained in this unit. And the two little kids know that all this is going on. We're sitting over here. And these little kids are over here, and they're playing on their game. And Brian's sitting on the floor swapping out with three other kids or two other kids on this game regularly for five, five seconds or whatever till he gets done with his wee part, and then the other kid gets And these kids are just going at it, like, you know, for an hour. So finally, I'm like, you know, i got to say something. So I go over and say, kids, can I take that remote from you? Would you mind turning off the TV set? And would you mind turning off your Wii so that we can have that other remote and these other kids can play? Or maybe you might want to consider moving to Now, I didn't say it that tenderly and that gingerly. So this, the kids finally leave. They're mad and they leave. I'm like, yes! They go hunt dad. Which... I would expect any kid to do, and to tell you the truth, I expected the dad to do what he did. So he comes back down, and he says, did you talk to my kids? I said, yes, I did. He said, what, why, why, why are you talking to my kids? I said, because you didn't. And so we get in this bantering thing. I'm telling you, neither one of us said anything that was really out of order, but it got to the point where he said, some, he said, you know, be careful, I'm going to lay you out on the floor. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, I'm not getting kicked out of the hotel for you, but you ain't laying me out on the floor. You know, that kind of thing. Anyway, as we're leaving, my wife is sitting next to me as we're leaving. She looks at me, she says, you were wrong. Oh, now that don't sit right either. You know what I'm talking about. She said, if somebody had come talk to my kids like you talked to that man's kids, I'm telling you right now, I would expect you to go down there and say something about it, and you would have. You'd have been in that man's face. And you were wrong. You should have never talked to those people's kids. And you know, I'm, I'm beating my chest right now because, I mean, you know, this guy coming in front of me in my face. I went back up to my room, and the spirit of the Lord, I was so grieved in my spirit. I said, God, if you'll give me an opportunity to tell this man I'm sorry, I'll do it. The whole vacation, I can't find him. I've looked everywhere. Can't find him. Can't find him. Can't find him. All the time I'm saying, God, I love you enough that I would never want to embarrass you, and I want you to give me the opportunity to say sorry to this guy. We packed our bags. We packed our bags. And we're coming down the elevator on our way to the car. The elevator door opens, and guess who's standing there? It's that guy and his family. I reached out my hand. He's like, you know, he's ready to go, you know. I said, sir, I am so sorry. I was completely wrong. My wife said I was wrong. I'm wrong. Will you, <laughs> will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? I said, I should have never done that. I would have expected you to do just what you did. I should have never talked to your children. I am so sorry. I'm trying to fix this in my life. Would you please? The guy starts crying. He's weeping. He's crying. It takes a real man to do what you've just done. <laughs> I said, well, I just want you to know, please have a great vacation. I am so sorry. I would never want to disrupt your vacation, please. And the man got on the elevator with all these people. He's crying. He's crying because I have apologized to him, you know. I mean, it was just one of those moments. But see, you know how many times God will give us an opportunity to rectify? I've always said this. Spiritual people will always resolve conflict. It did take a real man to do that. I'm going to tell you right now. 
I didn't, not in my flesh, because I mean, but see, God gave me that moment to clear up the situation. If our hearts are right and our hearts are pure, God will give us the moment to clear those things up because we cannot leave bitterness undealt with. Why do I say this? Why do I say this? Because expectations are important. If we read this right here, here's what it says. Turn over with me. You're there, Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man that was lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom was laid there daily at the gate at the temple, which was called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple. Now get it. His environment and his situation had predominated his life and created an environment of expectation. He had a complete and total expectation of people helping him out every time he needed help. He put a can out. This was his environment. And when people came, he only had that expectation. It wasn't an expectation that he could get up. It wasn't an expectation that his life could be different, that he did not have to be crippled. The expectation for him was is that this is my lot in life. This is the belief system that I have. This is my paradigm of belief. Somebody's going to help me. I have to hold out a can, and somebody's going to provide for me. That was his entire belief. Many of you in this room are staggered by your belief system. The environment of your life and the things that you've gone through have created an environment and a belief in you. You've heard the words of other people in your ears. You've heard somebody tell you you'll never make it. You've heard other preachers in your ears that have told you that God's taking you through something or he's causing death to your family. You've heard all kinds of things and all of those things have placed you into a position of beliefs of a paradigm of life where, where when God says he'll do the exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think, and you're going through life with 20% of your decisions made cognitively and 80% you're just flowing, just like I did on that elevator. When that man, when I went down to that game room, that, that old man that was not completely crucified that I'm working on so easily came back and I began to act out a lifestyle that I no longer have. That's why you gotta crucify the flesh every day and you have to renew your mind all the time on the word of God because there are things subconsciously in you that are constantly your reactions to employers, the way you work, your efforts in work, the things that you do are going to be led by 80%, 80% by what you don't even know you're doing. You don't know why you're not being hired. You don't know why the, the promotion didn't come to you. You got no idea why they can't see your talent. Why aren't they seeing it? Why, why? Because 80% of what's going on in you is coming from something you can't even see. Think about it, 80%. We have to renew our mind. We have to come from a, a, a position. And I'm gonna share with you what I believe. Anyway, it says there, this man, this man, listen to what he said. Who seeing Peter and John, verse 3, about to go in the temple asking for alms, Peter fastened his eyes on him with John, said, look on us. I don't know, maybe the man didn't ever look up. Think about where he was stationed in life. The depression that he was going through, he was embarrassed of his condition. They said, look up. One of the things I want to tell you is look up. That's what Jesus says. He says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Yeah, you may be looking down at the ground today, but I don't want you to leave here looking down. 
I don't want you to leave here today looking down at your situation and saying, this is my lot in life. I have to endure this. I've got to keep this. This is the farthest I'm going to go. This is the highest God's going to take me. No, the heights that you don't even know are out there. He said, I'll show you great and mighty things which you don't even know. Neither depth, nor height, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things that are... Think about it. Can separate you from the love of God. God's thoughts of you are higher than your thoughts. They're deeper than your thoughts. God wants to deliver you from where you are. He wants to bring you to a higher place. And you don't have to let the life's experiences, those 80% of your things that you don't even know, control and rule your life. Faith is the substance of an expectation. Faith is the substance of a hope. If my hope is not correct, then my faith will not be correct. I cannot have, if all my hope is is that I can just make it till tomorrow. We used to sing songs like that in church. If I can just pray, 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 until tomorrow, everything. We're just gonna hold on. Come on now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You sang them songs. If we can just hang and hold the fort. We used to sing the hold the fort for I am. Like we're all in defensive mode, you know. Custer's last stand. That's our religious belief is that we're just, I mean, all we can do is just simply stand there and let the devil beat us up, take his toll, and when it's all over with, we'll know we survived. We play survivor every day, waiting for them to blow out our light. Come on. That's not an expectation. That's 80% of what you are. We need to change our life thinking and have a greater expectation. Listen, as I begin to think about this idea of expectations and thoughts, listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Listen to this. Think about your decision-making paradigm. Think about the thoughts of yourself. I mean, are you one of those people that sit there and, I mean, you live in gloom, despair, and agony on me? Anybody ever remember hee-haw? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Anybody remember that? When stuff comes up in your life, is that your thought? Or do you immediately run to a place of, well, it is going to happen to anybody. It'll, it'll happen to me. Come on. I used to think that way. Something would go wrong, and I'd be like, yeah, well, if anybody's tire could have fallen off, it would have been mine. If anybody's battery could have gone dead, it would have been mine. That's not an expectation. Tell you the truth, it's really almost a disease. Listen to what the word of God says. I want you to get this. Because your, your thoughts, if you want to see God change your life, if you want to get out of the challenge you're in, you're going to have to change the paradigm of your thinking. You're going to have to move beyond what the devil has stuck you in and convinced you is your reality. From doctor to doctor, from medication to medication, from, from situation to catastrophe and calamity to calamity. Those are none of the things in the word of God. The Bible says, by Jesus stripes, I'm healed. I've got to change my paradigm. He delivers me from all my trouble. I've got to change my paradigm. When I think, my thinking has to be, if there may be a trouble to come, when Brian's arm was broken, 
Not once did I think it was going to be the worst condition. I didn't ever think worst case scenario, and hopefully it got better. Some people have that mentality. Well, I'll think the worst, and anything from that would be better. Why not think the best? Why not allow God to take you to higher places? Why not trust that God, who's able to deliver me from all my trouble, will certainly do that? Why would we think the other way? Listen to this. Think about this. This is the very dilemma that was placed before man in the garden. It was the dilemma in the law, and it is still the dilemma in grace. Deuteronomy chapter, listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record. This is God speaking. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. I have set before you life and death. I have set before you. Look at somebody and say, God has set two things. Life and death. Not one. Two. And he set them before you. Life in your business, death in your business. Life in your health, death in your health. Life in your family, death in your family. Life or death. Life or death. Listen to this. And blessings and cursings. You can live in blessing or you can live in cursing. You can see the glass half full or you can see the glass half empty. I've never seen a loaf of bread that had two ends. I only see two beginnings. Ain't nobody understood a word I just said. You may be eating the end. I'm eating the beginning. It is an expectation. It's the difference between the 80 and the 20. It's the, it, it is what causes people to fail in life. It, it, there, there is a thing that happens to us. We don't seem to understand that the decision, the contention in life is not God's contention. It is not the devil's contention. It is ours. The, the situation is on us. The, the repercussions of the situation are ours. He sets before us life and death, blessings and cursings, and then he tells us what to do. Choose. I get to choose my expectation. I get to choose. I don't have to be like that. He waited. This man, think about him waiting for this cup to be filled. There was a better, unexpected result, but his expectation was to receive. Here's what I want to say to you. The Lord told me this back two and a half weeks ago. Expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. How many of you left that room and decided you were going to expect the unexpected? See, I did. Now, when my son fell and broke his arm, I could have thought, boy, that's unexpected. But I knew that wasn't a God unexpected. It was the world, the flesh, and the devil. It couldn't have been anything to do with God. So there was still something out there. See, some of you would have saw that and thought, well, there's the unexpected. Does anybody know what I'm trying to say this morning? Can you see where I'm going with this? That was, just a, that was just an incident. That was just something that happened. I don't care that, I mean, I care. I love my son, but I'm not going to let it, it wasn't going to, I tell you, I told the devil, you can shut up. I'm going to have a, I am going to have a vacation. I don't care what happens. I'm going to have a vacation. I've got to have some rest. 
I'm going to see my kids, and I'm not going to let you steal my vacation. And no matter what came, I kept saying I got out to Philadelphia, and they had them things where you got to put money in to get a, to park. So I, they, they call for, I mean, it's been heat, no rain, nothing for days, right? Y'all know we're in a heat wave right now, similar to that up there, what was going on. There was no rain. They had had rain. They called for a slight chance of thunder showers. So I go out, take my family, and we're going to go to the pizza joint. And so I got all the family out. They're all over across the street. I get out of the car, put my credit card in the, the thing that you get your time. You know, they have these stands. You put your credit card in, and it allows you to park there. It won't take my card. There's been no rain. There's been no rain until now. You can't leave because you're going to get this big ticket if you don't do it. So I'm like, gentlemen, this thing in there, it took me about 30 minutes. When I got in the restaurant, I literally had to go in the bathroom and wring my clothes out. Everybody else was dry. (laughs) The world, the flesh, and the devil. We're not immune from it. You're not immune from it. But what were my expectations? I went in there and decided I was going to be happy. I was going to be full of joy, and I was going to eat me a good meal, and I wasn't going to let the devil steal my vacation. It was going to be fun, and I'd just take a picture of it for a good memory. Amen. I mean, you could either, I mean, you're either going to have lemons or lemonade. I don't know which are you going to have. I've decided in my life to make some lemonade. I may have, I mean, you know, yeah, you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but you can have an, a good egg salad. Amen. what I'm talking about. You don't have to live with it. You don't have to decide. Don't let nothing get you down. Don't let nothing tear your faith down. Don't let nothing defeat you. Don't let nothing hurt you. The Bible says nothing shall by any means hurt you. Life throws curveballs, challenges come, and the devil comes and fights us, but we fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternity, the Bible said. I'm not going to let anything. So anyway, I ended up having a good vacation. I ended up getting what I wanted out of it. And you know, everything we attempted to achieve, we achieved it. And the devil didn't stop one thing because our expectations were right. This man got more than he expected, the unexpected. When I got home and got that phone call, and what I think it's going to do for our church, it's an unexpected blessing from God. See, you can be strangled in your life. The devil has got so many people strangled in their lives. I want you to think about the prodigal son. I need to quit, but listen, go over to Luke chapter 15, 11 through 23, 11 through 24. I'm going to hit a couple points here. What a great story. I think we need to go through this story. There's so much in this. I studied this out, and I could go for weeks on just the prodigal son. I could do it. I could, I could, I could absolutely do it. But listen, I just want to hit one point that I think is Really important. One, verse 11, 15, 11, Luke 15, 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He divided unto him his living. Not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took a journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen in that country, and they sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he was not satisfied himself. He tried to eat it, but it was not satisfying. The husk of the swine did did eat, and no man gave him. Nobody would bless him. And when he came to himself... 
He said, how did this hired servant, my, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of the hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to the servants, bring me the best robe, put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. If ever there was a story that talked about an unexpected. You see, just because you think you failed or you've fallen short or you're no good or you don't live up or you don't measure up or whatever everybody else has said. Or just because you went in the world or just because you made some mistakes. Or just because life didn't go the way you expected. Or somebody had pointed out all your failures and still does it. I'm telling you, you can expect the unexpected. God will take whatever messes we've made and he will still give us a robe and he will still give us the seal of a family and he will still put shoes on our feet and he will bless us in spite of the messes that we make. I want you to think about that. Our expectations are not high enough that the God that loves us, that loves from beginning to end, that is love, do you really think that he doesn't want to bless you? Do you really think that he's going to condemn you when you come home? Do you really think he's going to stand in judgment of you? No, he loves you. He loves you enough to put a ring on your finger and a robe on your back and shoes on your feet. As I thought about this, one thing that I see here is that he realized his condition. One of the things that we need to do is realize, the Bible says, this is what it says in verse 14, and when he had spent all, the famine came, he began to be in want. He realized, this ain't no good. One of the things we got to do is evaluate, be willing to evaluate our life and say, this is really bad. This ain't going so good. See, when I was yelling at that guy in that hotel, when I left there, I was willing to evaluate, especially with my wife yelling in my ear, He wasn't yelling, telling me in my ear <laughs> that I was wrong. This is not a condition I need to be in. I was willing to recognize this is not what God wants for me. Something I'm doing. We have a real hard time with it. We like to put it off on God. I go to churches, I listen to messages, and they make it sound like it's all God. Folks, I'm telling you something. It ain't all God. We have to be willing to be self-evaluative. If things are not working in our life, are we willing to look introspectively into our lives and say, what is it that I'm doing that ain't right? Where am I missing it? You say, well, maybe, I, maybe you, like I said, 20% of it we do cognitively, 80% we do not even knowing. We have formulated things and opinions and ideas and things we've married ourselves to something and held it as a reality, created it as a truth, and we're not willing to let go of our pet peeve idea to the point that it destroys us. Think about the things, I had a friend who, who bought a Toyota, and he had this Toyota, and the, the engine blew up on the Toyota. And so he went to the Toyota dealership there in his local town, and they didn't do a lot for him, and he ended up losing a lot of money on this Toyota. 
and he made up his mind 20 years ago he would never buy another Toyota ever. Well, he's missed out on some good cars. Uh, yeah, you can have other cars, but what about the Toyotas you could have had? Or I mean, you formulated an opinion. You decided and you married yourself to a condition that you're never going to change because of something that happened at a dealership in the city of all the cities in the Americas, of all the dealerships that would have done you right. One did you wrong and you've, tr- you've decided the whole company deserves none of your business forever. I had a lady in the church years ago. She was in this church. I really loved the family. They were a great family, tremendous family. They ended up moving for a business situation. They no longer go here. This was years and years ago. But uh, this lady had a condition, and, I, and through the beginning of it, she just had small portions where you couldn't, she had something that you couldn't really touch her. She would have people hug her. She'd put her hand out, and she'd, she'd want you to rub her palm. Just, just her, she had, then it turned into a wheelchair condition, and before long, she had a dog, one of them dogs that would help her. And we just kind of watched this deterioration of the condition. I couldn't understand because I was praying for her and believing for her and all those kinds of things. I was standing for her. Why isn't she getting healed, you know? And, uh, I mean, I mean she did, didn't, the condition wasn't such that it was crippling, but she was sitting in a wheelchair. She didn't really need the dog, but it would become a family friend. And then I got this phone call from them. They said, would you come? Uh, this particular lady was going to be honored by this society of handicaps. And so Amy and I got in the car, drove her to the beach, spent the night at the beach for this big honorary ceremony. We went into the room, and they brought her up, and she just glowed. I'm talking about her face lit. I mean, she just, oh, heaven and earth had opened. They brought her up on that stage. She wheeled herself up there with her dog. She was so proud, and she laid back in that chair, and they laid accolades on her. She had funded this and helped that and did the other. And she just was just, I mean, I mean, and immediately the Lord said, the reason she's in that condition is because she's married to it. It became her identity. I mean, it wasn't that God didn't want to heal her. She was identified. She had become identified with the condition. She was stuck in that wheelchair, and she got praise for it. She was stuck in that with that dog, and she got praise for it. She couldn't get past it because who would she be without it? I mean, if she didn't have that, they wouldn't be praising her. The problem is that's not true. She could have done all the things she'd done completely healthy. She didn't have to do them sick. The devil had convinced her that to be effective, she had to be sick. She had to be depressed. She had to be discouraged. To get what she wanted, to get the feel, and she became married to the condition. You could not change her mind. This was her mindset. She was stuck with it, and she was going to be, be there forever. She's still there. Nothing that we could do about it, and I'm telling you, there's nothing that God can do it because she subconsciously decided this is her lot in life. Her expectations are no greater and never will be unless she can change those expectations. She will remain in that wheelchair forever. Does anybody understand what I'm trying to say? How many things have we decided, how many things have we banked on or created value in in our lives? This boy had created value. He, he, he had, he had uh, uh, think of all, how about Peter? Let's talk about Peter. Let me, just, let me just hit Peter for a second. I know we gotta go, but I need you to get this. Peter went out and fished all night long. When Jesus came, he came into the boat and took it out into the, into the lake. The Bible says he walked him back to the shore and told him, take your nets out and throw them out for a draught. What were Peter's expectations? We fished all night. His experience had told him it did not matter what they did today. Somebody's getting what I'm talking about. We marry ourselves to conditions. 
We decide the things that we think are important or we say these things and they become controversies in our life. They begin to formulate rebellions and discouragements and distractions and all of these things because we've got to win this victory over something we believe is reality. We have to stand on our laurels. Don't you know that this idea is right? This is what I was taught when I was five. This is the way, there was a situation where uh, years had gone by and a lady uh, would cut off the ends of the turkey, both ends of the turkey and put it in the oven. And, and so the, 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 the husband came up one day and said, you know, we've been married for a couple of years and you every Thanksgiving you cut off the ends of the turkey, you put it in the oven. Why do you do that? She said, I don't know, my mother always did it. He said, well, I'm going to ask your mother. So the mother comes and says, why did you do that? She's, she said, well, you know, I, I cut off the ends of the turkey because my mother always did it. She said, I'm going to ask the grandmother why they do that. He said, why did you cut off the ends of the turkey? She said, because the oven was too small. <laughs> what is it in our lives that we have decided is the absolute, our idea of something and we cannot resist uh, we cannot change our formula. It may be some small little thing, but if it brings contention between you and God, if it bring, be, be, brings distraction between you and the things of God, it is not an idea that's worth holding on to. It may be your reality and you believe that it is absolute truth to you, but if you'll stop and reevaluate it and decide why you're doing what you're doing, you may be actually walking in rebellion. You may be stopping the blow and the, the flow and the blessings of God based on some simple thing that you've decided. I've got to win a victory here. I cannot let this go. I cannot decide that it doesn't, it isn't important to me. Who will I be if I don't have this anymore? One thing I've asked the Lord for, I've said, God, if there's one thing I want in my life, if there is one thing, please, God, give me, fill me with it. God, I want it to be, I want to be teachable. But Lord, the rest of my life till I die, I want God, please, allow my life to be pliable. Let somebody speak into my life. Let me, listen, it took a lot for me to go to that man and tell him I was sorry. Because every man in this room knows you don't just go up to some guy and tell him you're sorry because you just yelled at him. And this is the kind of thing we take into parking lots. Come on now. You all know what I'm talking about. But it wasn't the right. The, the, the truth is, is when you see right, you stick with right. When you see something that you need to change, you change it. Don't hang on to things that are not really truths. Find out what the Word of God said. Live with the Word of God. Stay with the Word of God. And the Word of God will always come through in your life. You'll always get the result. Your expectations will change because your expectations will no longer be based on your humanity, what you went through, the experiences of your life. You'll start having God's reality, God's experience, God's knowledge, God's way of doing things. And your expectations will rise to a higher place. Instead of living in sickness, you'll start living in in hell. Instead of living in poverty, you'll start living in prosperity. Instead of being fired from a job, they'll be promoting you on the job. Instead of sitting there thinking, how do I get my resume out? God will promote your resume. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about. You've got to change your expectation. God's got an answer for my condition. God's got a way where there's no way. God can do what no man can do. All things are possible. I'm not living like that anymore. I'm not living beneath my means. I'm not living from paycheck. I know they said that's the way you gotta live. Maybe, maybe you may say, well, you don't know my upbringing. You don't know the, the experiences of my life. You don't know uh, how I got done wrong by my mom in the will. You don't know what happened with my daddy when he died. I don't have to know. I know what the Lord said. He's on my side. If the Lord be for me, what does it matter? Who's against me? For the Lord is my shield and he's my buckler. 
Oh, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadows of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Glory to God. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I expect a miracle. I expect a miracle. Would somebody in this room stand up and give the Lord some praise? Come on, shout it out. Come on, somebody shout it out. Come on, praise him. Praise him.